0: Welcome back, everybody, to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. My name is Mr. Bond. I'll be your host once again this week. It is October the 9th, 2014. We just got uh, done wrapping up a challenge of champions out in uh, California there. Congratulations to uh, Torsten for uh, taking out Appleton uh, for the win there. That was a pretty exciting little match they had. And, of course, uh, the International Tournament of Champions for the women uh, was held the very next day. And uh, it came down to Allison Fisher and Kelly Fisher. Of course, Kelly uh, ended up pulling that out. So uh, congratulations to Kelly. Um, she's had an amazing comeback so far, having just <laughs> walked away from open heart surgery just a few months ago. Man. Man. That uh, cannot be easy on the soul. So yeah, congratulations to Kelly for that. And of course, the U.S. Open, 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 Open starts next week. That's gonna be a big time. A lot of fun. A lot of great pool going on there. Is if you've had a chance to look at the the uh, who is signed up so far. It is a who's who of the professional pool world there's going to be a lot of uh, lot of good pool going on there and speaking of the US Open uh, Mr. J Helfert just uh, brought it up online at azbilliards.com uh there's some discussions about how they would like some of the specific rules to be laid out and uh, you know it seems to be a uh, a point of contention. I don't mean that in a bad way. I think it more of a point of concern uh, than contention, maybe. Oh, maybe not. Depends on if you're going to be there or not, I guess. But uh, you know, there's a the question of whether or not it should be racked in the standard place that it is with the one on the spot, or if it should be moved uh, with the nine on the spot. Uh, should it be rack your own, or an opponent rack, or a neutral rack? Uh, these kinds of things. And You know, it's a legitimate concern to be honest with you, because it's um, the the integrity of any game can be spoiled if if there happens to be an opportunity for somebody to manipulate something. Not saying that anybody is or isn't, but if there's an opportunity, uh, certain people will take advantage of that. And the rack just happens to be one of those opportunities where, um, if it's not, uh, you know, done with care, so to speak. You can have some people doing funny things to it to influence the outcome of the game. Now, the thing is, though, it is a rotation game, meaning that the balls are supposed to be shot in order, which means that the object on your first shot is to try to make the one ball in. That's part of the game. So you can't really take that out and still call it a nine ball or a rotation game. Because it's not. So you have to have the opportunity to at least try to take a shot at the one. But uh, like I said, if there's an opportunity for somebody to manipulate the the rack, that's not good because that means the conditions are different for everybody. Uh, If there was some way to ensure that the rack was exactly the same every single time and exactly the same spot, then everybody would have the opportunity to practice Rack uh, breaking from that location, and some people will be better at breaks than others. That's also a natural course of the game. Some people are going to be better at breaking than others. So you can't take that out of the equation. So how do you, you know, protect? The question is, how do you protect the integrity of the game, the fairness of the game, but still the spirit of the same game? And that's going to be hard to do um nine ball is a short game it was born as a gambling game Uh, a short attention span bam bang boom over and done move on to the next one so you gotta expect the rack to be important on such a short game of course it is so that's why all this concern about it in the first place but nonetheless before i ramble on too much about it uh we talked to some people that have a little bit more experience uh, with dealing with these things than myself. And that is uh, Mr. Jay Helfert, who's going to be the tournament director at uh, the U.S. Open. And uh, we also spent a few minutes talking with uh, Johnny Archer, who will be at the tournament and, of course, has had his fair share of uh, run-ins with rules before, having been you know, on the tournament scene for a, a-, a long, long time. So uh, stick around and listen to some interesting opinions on about uh, the rules and the way that they're saying that they should be. I think you will learn a lot uh, uh, from both perspectives. And, but, but before we do that, here comes your one-minute pool instructor. Hi, this is Kelly Fisher, and you're listening to American Billiard Radio.
1: I'm Scott Lee and I'm Randy G and welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor where this week's topic is we're going to discuss visualization, Randy.
2: Yeah, how about visualization and positive thinking
1: together? I like the way that sounds.
2: You know Scott, the most powerful muscle in the human body is not the arms, the legs, or the back. It's located inside our skull. Scott, the thoughts that the brain produces can increase our chances of success in anything we do. Boy, is that true. Yeah, when we think good thoughts we get good results, negative thoughts um, negative results. We have to learn in pool to create a uh, a positive image and then allow that image to lead us in the direction that we want to go.
1: Yeah, you know what, now let's transfer that same philosophy to our pool game. Yes. Before you get down to shoot, Take a couple of seconds to paint a positive mental picture of what you want to happen. One shot, right? One shot. Feel your cue moving smoothly forward. Feel the vibration as the tip contacts the cue ball. Picture the cue ball moving directly toward your target. Hear the click of the two balls when they make contact. See your ajupel moving directly toward the pocket. Watch the cue ball move toward the target area you selected for your final cue ball position. Hear the sound of the object ball dropping into the pocket as the cue ball comes to rest exactly where you planned. Now your brain has a vivid picture of what you want the outcome of your actions to be. Now get down to your shot, make sure you're lined up properly, and then allow your body to do what the brain is telling it to.
2: Wow, that's strong stuff now. And that that only takes a a fraction of a second.
1: Sure is quick.
2: I've got a quote here from a champion. Listen to this, Scott. Champions visualize what they want to do.
1: Contenders visualize what they don't want to do. <laughs> Boy, and we hear that a lot, don't we? That's that voice of doubt. You better cut it a little thinner yeah, you need yeah. some English. Hit You're it re-
2: harder. Don't
1: miss. Don't
2: miss. Don't there scratch. We go. We're going to
1: leave you with that. Don't miss <laughs> now. That's a hell of a visualization, isn't <laughs> it? This well, is Randy G. And this is Scott Lee, and this has been the One Minute Pool Instructor. Join us next week when we're going to talk about Thought-Free Pool, The Final Frontier. ball gooey stringy chewy kind of ball flap tap constantly
3: hello everybody welcome back to AZ billiards on American Billiard Radio I'm Mike Howerton. I'm joined this week by the wearer of many hats but uh, the the hats that we are the most interested in right now are spectator for the Challenge of Champions and more importantly tournament director for the upcoming US Open. We're talking to Jay Helfert. Jay how you doing I'm doing fine Mike thank you. So uh, before we get into the US Open and, and that being the main thing that I wanted to talk about uh, the timing is good. you were at the Challenge of Champions yesterday. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well you know it's it's a
4: wonderful television production. It's very well organized, very well run, and it actually, it's, it's very nice to see professional pool played by top players um, on ESPN in the United States. What I understand is the air dates are it, for the men's uh, show, which was taped yesterday, are January 4th. So it's three months off, but um, I think they'll show the entire matches. They're relatively short matches. They play race to five You must win two sets. If the players split one set each, then they play a sudden-death playoff, which is one game, which makes it kind of exciting. It's almost like sudden death at the end of a football game. First team scores wins. Um, But they had four great players, Thorsten Holman, Darren Appleton, uh, Dennis Orculio, and Shane Van Boning. All good matches, all great play. And... uh, uh, I don't know if I should tell you prematurely, but I will because it's already been on Facebook. Thorsten ultimately won. He uh, he went one set each with uh, Darren Appleton, and then Thorsten won the tiebreak game.
3: How? From what I uh, heard from the event, uh, Appleton won the lag in the sudden death and was running out. Did it? Yeah. Did it seem like a fairly routine out, or did he still have things to deal with?
4: No. I, unfortunately, I missed that final game, but I heard about it. People told me about it. I believe it was the sixth ball he missed. you know, and from what I understood it was he missed a medium hard shot, very tough tables. The players had a lot of trouble with the table was like what Dennis told me was it played real slick and it was hard to control the English on that table. you know, brand new cloth.
3: Right. Did you watch uh, Torsten and Dennis's match? Oh, yeah.
4: I watched the entire match.
3: Now, r- reportedly, um, Torsten came with some great shots in that match, but he also might have gotten a lucky, a lucky roll once or twice.
4: Well, you know, these things happen in pool. He, he kicked a couple balls in when he was hooked, um, but he played perfect. I mean, he made balls on the break every time he broke. Um, he never missed one ball. Thorston might have made two position errors in the match, but he didn't miss anything that he shot at and uh you know frankly uh of the four players, I watched the first match too, Darren Appleton and Shane Van Boney of the four players, Thorston looked like he played the best and he deserved to win.
3: What do you think about the the two races to five and then the sudden death? What do you think about that format?
4: No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you know, You know, years ago, I was the tournament director for that 20 years ago. I did the first three years, and they used to play single elimination race to seven. So it was one short race. And, I mean, there were matches to went hill-hill, six to six, but it felt like a more true test. And, of course, they were playing with eight players, so they played seven matches, uh, single elimination. But I like that format, and they used it, I think, the first couple of years and then they changed it to the format they've used ever since. And my feeling is, if you're going to play a race to five, just play two out of three sets. That would be my opinion. But for for uh, number one, I think for two reasons. One for brevity. You know, the, it shortens the match by not playing a third full set. And the other one is the excitement factor, because with players this good, you're going to have many matches that are split, one set each. Oh, sure. So it's to me, when you're playing for twenty five thousand dollars, who wants to play one game for twenty five thousand? Nobody. You know? So anyway, that's the way they do it. And uh you know, Mike, the old saying, he who puts up the gold makes the rules and it ain't my money, so I don't make the rules.
3: Well it was nice to see the event come back this year. It was it was yeah it didn't happen last year and um now Matt Braun he he handed over the reins to Greg.
4: Yeah, Greg, Greg Hovey bought the rights to that and um credit credit uh to to Greg Hovey for putting this back together. He's I got I spent some time with him the last couple of days. He's got a great enthusiasm for pool. He's got a good eye for proper promotion and uh he really is sincere about putting on the best event possible. And look at the players he brought together. He got four of the best men players in the world, and he got four of the best women who happened to be playing today. Kelly Fisher, Allison Fisher, Karen Kaur, and Guy Young-Kim. You couldn't find eight better players.
3: Right. So was anything said when you interacted with Greg about the future of the event? Does it look good? Uh, they're happy with the event, or, or how did you perceive it?
4: Well, I think Greg's very happy with it, and uh, I felt like the ESPN crew, I talked to the director and and the producer, um, they look forward to doing a a pool event every year because, as you know, there's not a lot of professional pool on ESPN today. And uh, my point of view is any professional pool with great players is always going to be a plus for the sport. And, again, you know, thanks to Greg Hovey, the event has been resurrected um, but I think that there's, a, I, I don't know the terms of the contract he has with ESPN, but I'm certain that we will see it continue next year and the following years. As long as, as, long as Greg's at the helm, I think the event's going to continue. He did a good job of putting together sponsorship packages.
3: Okay. The event had to be a good tune-up for the four players who would just go from this event to Virginia next week for the U.S. Open. Now, yeah. you're the you're the tournament director this year. How did that gig happen?
4: Well, <laughs> this is probably, I think this is either the 14th or 15th U.S. Open I've worked on in various capacities. I have been the, the tournament director, co-tournament director in years gone by and uh, um, there's also been years where I've taken a break, and last year I took a break from the U.S. Open, but Barry and I uh, began discussing this year's U.S. Open several months ago, and uh, um, we had a meeting of the minds about how we both felt the event should be conducted, and uh, when we were in agreement, I, I said that I will come back and direct again.
3: Now, you're, you're, my understanding is you're the tournament director, and the MC will be Scott Smith. He's bringing Scott back. That is correct. I didn't even know Scott was still around. Well,
4: he's been in Colorado, Colorado Springs, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him. I haven't seen him in four or five years myself. So, uh, one thing for sure Scott is a great announcer, he's a great MC.
3: Absolutely, he is—he is by far the best on the mic. It—it uh, it just seems like a, a role that is suited to him perfectly.
4: Well, as long as he can, you know, do again what he's done in the past, and uh, uh, that'll be a nice piece of the of the pie, so to speak, that's going to be handled. Um, and and it frees me up to to work as the actual um, you know working tournament director with the conduct of the event.
3: Well, and it's kind of a tip of the hat to past US opens, you know, having Scott on the mic again.
4: Yeah, well, hopefully it'll all work out okay. Um, I'm optimistic. Uh, we've got kind of a, some new people on the crew. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really a different format. The field has been limited to 128 players, which I think will be full because as of today, there were 112 entries as of today. And I expect it to be a full field of 128. A um, little bit higher entry fee with $750, but there's Barry's adding $74,000, so it's a $170,000 purse. Um, it's a it's a it's a, they're nice prize money on this one. Oh sure.
3: Um, have have you and Barry had any conversations about what might happen if you've got 128 on Sunday and you've got players still coming through the door?
4: They're going to get shut out. We've had a conversation about that, and, and uh, 128 is it. And Barry expects it to be full by Friday. That's what he said. So any latecomers may not get in.
3: When the field was cut from 256 to 128, and I understand the logic behind that was to allow the tournament to take place in one room so the fans didn't have to choose what room they were in to watch matches in, which I think was a a very good move on Barry's part. Um, When the field was cut down to 128, one of the biggest uh, talking points was the amount of quote-unquote dead money that would not be in the tournament. Um, Is that still an issue? Do you think it's an issue? What are your thoughts on that? Well,
4: um, again, that's a conversation I had with Barry, um, actually on more than one occasion. And he liked, over the years, the idea that oftentimes lesser players would get into the Open for the experience. But I think Barry is of the mind, as I am at this point in time, is the U.S. Open should be the best test of pool in the United States. It is the premier professional event in this country, and to have the best test of pool, you need the best players. And the increased entry fee, the limiting of the field, what I see when I look through the list of entries, there ain't a lot of dead weight in this field. This is a, this field's full of elite players. It, it may be one of the strongest fields the U.S. Open's ever had. It really compares favorably with a world-class field, a world championship.
3: I heard that possibly there were... Uh, fewer than usual Asian players but from discussing the list with people it sounds like the Filipino monsters are there the European monsters are there yeah Uh, Efren Bustamante, Dennis is Alex playing? Uh, Alex is playing oh good, that'll be good to see him uh, actually playing He he
4: he, he just entered yesterday as a matter of fact
3: any other big names that we should know about?
4: Well, basically what you covered it, the top Filipinos, the top Europeans, there was some interest from some of the Chinese players, but it's hard for them to make the trip for one event. Sure. If, there was, if there was more than one event, they would probably be more likely to come. Probably the, by the same token why a lot of American players don't go overseas and plays. It's just too expensive to travel to one event.
3: Right. Now, I understand some of the rules are going to be different this year. There's going to be some some minor tweaking of the rules. Uh, biggest one, at least based on uh, conversations that I've uh, had and, and uh, eavesdropped on on Facebook, uh, seems to be the break rule. Now, can you tell us how that's going to change?
4: Well, the ma- main change is we're going to the... Format that's been used in a lot of events internationally the last couple of years, and it's also in all the matchroom events where they rack the nine on the spot. Reason for that, Mike, is the wing ball doesn't go directly in the corner pocket. It, it it adds an element of skill to the break that isn't there when you rack the one on the spot.
3: Well, and I know that the argument in favor of that is that some of the players uh, can can re- well. The, the term has been used, rig the rack, where the wing yep. ball goes every time, and it—it's not even so much a a magic rack, or you know, even back to the Sardo rack days. It's not even so much the rack. It—I've been told they can do it with a wooden rack, or they can do it with a Delta rack.
4: Absolutely, absolutely, and we want to get away from that, where the wing ball goes every time. It—it's just—it's uh, just gives gives too much advantage to the breaker. Now, don't get me wrong. Even racking the nine on the spot, these good players will figure out ways to make a ball. But what what you'll be seeing at this year's U.S. Open, they'll be trying to make the one in the side. That'll be the strategy. They know the corner balls, the wing balls aren't going to go. So they're looking to make the one ball in the side, which is a little bit harder to do. And if you make the one in the side and we're racking the two in the back, it's much harder to play position on the two ball. When you put the two in the back, it may go anywhere.
3: And this is break from the box, right? Break from the box. Okay, which you would know better than I would, but that should make it tougher to make the one, right?
4: It it makes it even harder. Listen, I'll tell you something. If if it were up to me by myself, and who knows, we may finally go in this direction, you might have to break from the foot spot. (laughs) That means put the cue ball on the spot and break. Mike, we played a tournament like that about 20 years ago um, at a time when there were some guys that broke so good they just kept breaking and running out. We made them break from the spot. We Again, that was at a time when the one was on the, when the, one was on the head spot and, and, excuse me, on the foot spot, and I'm sorry, I said it wrong, break, break, from the, uh, break from the head spot. The cue ball was on the head spot, and all of a sudden, it became very hard for them to, to make successful breaks, and they began to change their break. You know, they broke a little, they, they kind of backed off their break a little bit. So um, I don't know that we'll ever get that far at the U.S. Open, but it's, it's something to look at in the future.
3: Based on seeing this rule in play at Moscone Cup, there have been there were times when someone would break at Moscone Cup and the referee would come in and say, that's a foul. And they would say, well, why is that a foul? And the ref would say, you know, three balls didn't cross the, the side pocket. You know, that ball hit the hit the, the edge of the side, bounced back in. Do yeah. you foresee there being an issue without ha- with not having referees at every table with these break rules?
4: Uh, well, the where they really had problems moscone cup and they had it at the world cup of pool last month as well is three balls had to get past the headstring which is much harder to do but um the rule at the u.s open and it's been a rule for many years is three balls either pocketed or past the side pocket so that's not so hard to do that's not if you watch like if you watch the world cup of pool many failed breaks where three balls did not get past the head string, they would have been legal breaks if it would have been the side pocket. So there were many failed breaks where one ball just didn't quite get there to the head string. So um, I think three balls past the side pocket is a good rule. It just requires that you break firmly. And there won't, I don't think there will be many failed breaks. Now, the, the other part of that question is, is it a problem well, the good thing is we only have nine tables to watch instead of 16, so it's a little easier to observe it. But it's kind of one of those things where the, where the opponent and the player breaking um, have to observe the break, and probably if there's a failed break, they'll both know it. If there's a problem, then we'll have to resolve it at the time. And if somebody's breaking, breaking soft and they're not getting three balls past the side pocket or pocketed, we'll go over there and watch them break.
3: Now, I've also heard some of the conversation on the other side of the argument, being that without balls going in on the break, games are going to take longer, which means matches are going to take longer. Do you see that as an upcoming issue?
4: I don't see that as a problem, and I'll tell you one reason why. We and We touched on this earlier. We have a very strong field here, and typically when there's long matches uh, like at the U.S. Open, is when there's players that are not such high-level players, and it's early-round matches. The first couple rounds on the winner side, the first couple rounds on the loser side, um, there can be some very long matches. When you have good players who are capable of running out at any time, the matches tend to run a little bit faster. Now, we have the option of putting a slow match on the shot clock. I mean, if there's a match that's running behind and the players are just taking too long, um, you know, taking too long between shots and stuff like that, we can put them on a 30-second shot clock, and we will have people available to do that.
3: Okay. All right. Uh, Well, I think that that pretty much covers the changes in the break rule. Any other major changes that we should know about?
4: Major changes. Um, Medium
3: changes. yeah.
4: No, well, all matches are raced to 11 as before. The final matches on Saturday, the final three matches are raced to 13. You must win by two, and there's a uh, a cap of 15. That means if it goes 14-14, it's hill hill. Actually, I think the I think the first match is a race to 11, win by two, with a cap at 13, so it could go 12-12, and then the final match is uh, race to 13 with a cap at 14 14. so we will be winning the the using the win by two games rule on the final day.
3: okay and the tournament kicks off Monday it runs until Saturday
4: Yeah first ra- the first round each day is at 10:30 in the morning. The players meeting is Sunday at four o'clock.
3: okay and then what's the last round that's going to start at night
4: 10:30 at night.
3: We have three
4: day rounds. We've got a ten thirty, a two thirty, and a four thirty round, and then we have a um six thirty no I got a wrong I'm sorry, I told you wrong. We got a ten thirty, twelve thirty, and two thirty round in the daytime. Ten thirty, twelve thirty, that's just afternoon, and two thirty in the day, and then six thirty, eight thirty, and ten thirty at night. So we're allowing two hours per round, which Really, for a race to eleven with top players, that's more than enough time. Although I'm very much aware that there will be matches that will go over.
3: Now, Barry has got some. He's got challenge matches scheduled at Q Masters during the week too.
4: Uh, actually, the challenge matches are prior to the start of the U.S. Open. They're Friday, Saturday, and Sunday nights.
5: Oh,
3: okay. Well, that's not that won't interfere.
4: No. He's doing that just as kind of an added attraction, you know. He's got challenge. He's got one night. I think the final night, Sunday night. Um, he's got the three two-time winners, um, Mika, Shane, and Darren, playing a ring game, <laughs> which should be interesting. They're playing a ring game. I think the winner gets a thousand dollars.
3: Well, but it's still something for the fans to see. Now that is that at Q Masters or is that at the Marriott?
4: All the challenge matches on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday night are at Masters.
3: Okay. All right. Besides the U.S. Open, I know you always have other things to talk about. Now, you've got an event of your own coming up. Uh, is it early next year?
4: Uh, February 1st through 5th. Excuse me, February 5th through 8th. I said that wrong. February 5th through 8th, it's in, Car- in the city of Carson, California, which is actually actually a suburb of Los Angeles. And it's going to be a 16-player invitational tournament, um, $20,000 first prize. And the 16 invited players, it's similar to a matchroom event at that there's no entry fee. Oh, okay. So the players are guaranteed money.
3: Do you have any confirmed
4: players yet? Got them all. <laughs> it's, basically a, it's basically a who's who of top players. All four of the all four of the guys that played in the Challenge of Champions are
3: in it. <laughs> okay, well, that's a good start. Yeah. Well, with your connections to the Philippines, which other Filipinos are in it?
4: Well, the the interesting thing about this event, Mike, is this is hosted by a Filipino community, the largest Filipino community in Southern California, and as part of the negotiations. Eight of the 16 players are Filipinos, so, and they will be paired with the other players, the American and foreign players, so that all eight first-round matches will feature a Filipino player. Oh, wow. um, and basically, there's the who's who of the Filipino players. Lee Van, Dennis, Efren, Francisco, Alex, Carlo Beato, um, Warren Kiamko. Um, we, I am inviting Jose Parika because he's kind of the, the professor emeritus of, of pool from the Philippines, and he still plays good. Oh, so, sure he does. Yeah, and then we've got four foreign players and four North American players to round up the field.
3: Can you give us the names?
4: We've got, let's see, our European players are Mika, Thorsten, Darren, and Jason Shaw. Um, the North American players are Shane. Um, John Mora, Rob Saez, and Oscar Dominguez.
3: That sounds like a good field.
4: Yeah, we. well, we. you know, the nice thing about an invitational tournament is you can pick the players that you feel are going to be most audience-friendly and also very competitive. I wanted all good players, but I wanted a mix of players, and uh, I think we've got that.
3: With this year's CSI events, being invitationals. and then with your event being an invitational, do you think that that's the way things are moving at least in the short term?
4: You know, Mike, what I've observed the last couple of years is more and more of these 16 player events, whether it's one pocket, nine ball, ten ball on a bar table, um, with high typically with high entry fees like the Bigfoot tournament, which we'll be doing at Derby City. 16 players, $1,000 entry fee, and 16000 added money. And it just seems that for a variety of reasons, it works to have 16 top players. For that one reason is all matches are going to be good matches because there's not going to be any weak players in the field. And you can play everything on one table where everybody can watch You know every match um, it's a little more controlled environment. It's it's easier to manage from a promoter's point of view, and I think a lot of promoters are beginning to realize that all you need is top, is the top players to draw a crowd. You don't need, you know, and it it kind of goes part and parcel with what Barry's Berman's doing at the U.S. Open. In the past, he always wanted the field to be as big as possible. I think he's going to see here that even with a smaller field, with all the elite players the attendance will be just as good. if not better than ever.
3: Well, I certainly hope so. Um, besides running tournaments, uh, aren't you still working on a book? It's almost done. It's
4: almost done. My goal is to have it finished this year where it can be out the beginning of next year. It's, I'd say it's 90% complete. There's, um, a couple chapters need to be completed. It needs an editing process and a proofing, that kind of thing. And, uh, um, it'll be ready to roll. It's called. It's uh, called more pool wars.
3: Now, is this? Are you planning on uh, taking off the the writer's cap after this one, or or is this just <laughs> the second of many?
4: You know, you know. There are some good friends of mine. Phil Capel comes to mind, and 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 Bob Byrne and a few other guys that have. Written a series of billiard books. I think Phil's got nine books. As Phil would say, he said, "I got nine titles on the market," and definitely, there's financial benefits to having as many books out there as you can because what what they what people like Phil and Bob Byrne and others have discovered is that books continue to sell even years after they were written because there's always new people coming into the pool world. And uh, but as for me. This will probably be the last pool book I ever write. I'll probably write just the two, Pool Wars and more Pool Wars, and I think I'm done with it. doesn't mean I'm not going to keep writing. I have, I have other projects that are kind of in the outline stage, like movie scripts. I do have one movie script that, that um, part of it is about pool. Um, it's really about a, ga- a, gambling, um, uh, a gambling culture. And part of the gambling culture is is pool games for money, but uh, as far as uh, pool books, this will be it for me. I have no desire to write book numbers. There won't be a more and more pool wars. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, that's a shame. I enjoyed the first one a lot.
4: Well, this one's going to be a little different, and I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, one of the things I discovered that people enjoyed. You know, when you when you write your first book, you have no idea how it's going to be received, and one reason that I decided a couple years ago to write a second book is because the reception to Pool Wars has been so favorable. I got so much positive response. The, the amazing thing to me is here it is five years later and Pool Wars continues to sell. Mostly, I mean, there's there's uh, wholesalers now that you know are selling them. You can buy it now online for much less than the original price. Um, but... Where it's really selling is as an ebook, like on Amazon and iTunes. Um, literally, dozens of copies of Pool Wars are sold every month, and the reason I know is I get a royalty check. <laughs> so, but that, but that, but I'm. It's not. It's not about the money, because the truth is the money is small. But it's the fact that it was so well received, and I. One of the things I noticed with many people who complimented the book is they there were certain stories that they picked out that they liked so much. So more pool wars is again, it's there's going to be forty different stories in more pool wars, um, all you know short anecdotes. Now what's going to be different about it is there will be stories in there that are not pool stories. That are it's because the the full title was more pool more pool wars and other. Um, and other assorted escapades, and by escapades I mean you know just different activities that I was involved in that I thought might be interesting to people. I'll give you for I'll give you one for instance, since the statute of limitations ran out a long time ago. I actually got involved with a friend of mine who was an ex-pro football player that had a had a wonderful idea how we could smuggle marijuana from Mexico. This is I'm going back thirty five. Almost forty, yeah, almost forty years ago, and uh, so we made a plan, and uh, it failed. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it was it was it was quite an interesting experience, and, and and we both survived. Let's just say that. So I wrote that story. I put because it's a story that I've never told before, and uh, we'll we'll see how people like it. But but there will be stories like that, in more pool wars that are not pool stores. They're just about what I think were were interesting experiences that happened
3: during the course of my life. Well, I'm certain it'll be entertaining no matter what the stories are about.
4: Well, I hope so. I hope people... If, listen, if people like it as
3: much as pool wars, I'll be thrilled. Okay. Um, real quick, before I let you get back to it, how's your poker game?
4: Well... You know, Mike, I, play, I don't play as much as I used to. Um, in the past, for I played a lot of poker for probably about 15 years. The money games were real good back in the 90s and the early 2000s. Then I really got into tournament poker for about five or six years. And when I say really got into it, not like a professional, but I was probably playing 25 to 35 tournaments a year. Now, I doubt that I play a dozen tournaments in a year. I just, uh, now I went to the World Series of Poker, I played five events plus the main event, and uh, I I ended up a net loser of 11,000 at the World Series of Poker, and uh, so I didn't do well. Now, I will say this, um, I have played in occasional money games um, during the course of this year, and have done fairly well, but I just don't, I don't have the desire anymore to sit on my ass for eight or ten hours. I just uh, what I notice is that when I play poker in a money game, after two, three, four hours at the most, I'm ready to go. I just, I there was a time in my life where I could sit all night and play poker if it was a good game, and that seems to have passed, <laughs> for better or for worse.
3: <laughs> all right. Well, I appreciate you uh, giving us some of your time while you get ready for the open. Um... We are looking forward to the tournament in a big way. Jerry will be there, I think, Saturday, and I get in Sunday.
4: You know, I'm looking forward to it, too. I think it's going to be a good one.
3: Absolutely. Well, uh, we will see you in uh, just a couple of days, and good luck with the the book and the tournament in February. We're looking forward to hearing more about that, too.
4: Okay. Hey, Mike, thank you. Nice talking to you.
3: All right. Thanks, Jay. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, that was Jay Helfert talking about this year's U.S. Open, amongst other things. Uh, I will not be on the show next week because I'll be busy covering the Open, but plan to hear from me again in two weeks. Thanks, everybody.
0: This is Alison Fisher, and you're listening to American Billiard Radio.
5: Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is Mark Cantrell. This is the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neal's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And we are closing up here, getting up to the uh, start of the U.S. Open. And uh, I think Jay Alford put a post on his E-Billions, talking about the rules for this year's U.S. Open. And so... This, that thread has gone on quite a bit. Everybody's got an opinion. And so I decided to give my old buddy a call, uh, the scorpion Johnny Archer. How are you doing, Johnny? I'm doing just fine. Uh, basically all I wanted to do by calling you, you know, we, we talked about, uh, you know, everything under the sun. But this was something I wanted to get your opinion on and, and see what you thought of the, the break rules this year. Um, well, based on what you know at this point, well, let's start at the beginning. It's going to be nine on the spot. I like that. You like the, Why do you like the nine on the spot?
6: Well, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a big advocate for making the break tougher uh, myself, and I know moving the nine up on the spot makes it harder to make the corner ball. So, uh, you know, I'm kind of for that.
5: Okay, and then um, this, is, this we're going to be breaking from the from the box now. When we say breaking from the box, well, what? How do you categorize breaking from the box? What's you? What's your definition of that?
6: Well, I think breaking from the box is a good thing. I think it. Uh, I think they do it from from the one diamond in, you know. Uh, to the other diamond that's not the not the rails but the diamond in from the rails uh each to each i think that's uh, what dictates the box but the th- the thing you're going to run into i think there's uh there's all these rack mechanics out there you know that's uh figuring out how to rack the balls to set up the set up the uh corner ball and you know they try to figure out the the l frozen or something i really don't understand the language but um You know, it's basically you're cheating the rack, and, you know, you're kind of, you're trying to maneuver things. That's why you're seeing them pushing with their fingers. You know, they nudging the one back, or they nudging, leaving other balls off. There's all kinds of ways, uh, that some of them guys are doing them. I really don't want to name names, but, um, you know, it's really made it, it's made it, made it for a bad thing. Uh, the U.S. Open's been tainted a little bit the last couple years. Because uh, you know, that's been the uh that's been the talk afterwards and even during the event that uh you know, that certain guys are, are able to go in there and just kinda of set the corner ball up and, you know, uh break from pretty much how they want to and, and uh what that really does is that creates to where you really don't have to play that well to win. Because if the other guy doesn't know how to do it you're going to still get many more easier opportunities. So, uh, you know, even if you're not playing well, you can still be the top player uh, from doing it because you have many more opportunities than he does. Um, so I just think that's a crock. I don't like it. You know, I think it's bad for the game, in my opinion. Uh, and I'm sure I'm going to kick some heat from this, you know, from saying it, but, you know, that's the way I feel. And, you know, I think we're all pros, and I think we should make it as difficult as possible to win. I make uh but but on a fair playing field where everybody has the same opportunities, and so uh you know that that's just kind of what I would love to push for I'd love to see it happen before definitely before i retire
5: well you, you know there's uh, you talk about people manipulating the rack and and things like that gee i mean, I guess the only thing I can say is everybody can do it right if one person is doing it, everybody can do it um who regulates this? I mean, it's going to be winner breaks, right. rack your own. So winner breaks, rack your own. I mean, it doesn't take, for a good player, if they know what they're doing with that rack, it doesn't take a whole lot for somebody to uh, run five, six racks. At the, the caliber we're talking about, and well, now you're digging yourself, realize it right to 11, digging yourself out of a hole, you know, uh, five down. And if you don't know how to manipulate the rack like the other guy, I mean, you're in trouble.
6: That's exactly right, Mark. You, you touched on a real, real good thing there. You're right. Um to me, my opinion, I feel like if one guy knows how to do it, okay, and the other guy doesn't, I feel like the one guy, it gives him minimum, uh, 30, 40, 50% more chance. To win than the, than the guy that doesn't know how to do it, I believe. Um, and, you know, it's really, it's saddening that, that it's come to this because now that's really everybody's scared to get up and, and play rack your own or, or, or even rack for, you know, the one thing about racking for each other, well, the guy can go down and look and now he really, he even, I, I played a, a match up in Turning Stone. And the guy I was playing come up to me and said, Johnny, I want this L track frozen. So he was pretty much, he was pushing for that. And I really, I looked at him, I said, I have no clue what you're talking about. I really don't. I've never went and, and got any rack lessons, you know, from Joe Tucker or, or any of them guys that do it. Uh, and so I didn't understand what he was talking about. And he says, well, well, you know how to do it. And I said, no, I don't. I really don't. I said, if I did, you think I'd be fussing with, with everybody trying to get them to to make the break more difficult? But you know, it, it's just it's just sad because what it does is a guy that wins the U.S. Open, and if he's known to do that, which we all out there know who's known to do it, you know, uh, you know, players know who the other ones are. Um, if he wins, he really puts an asterisk by his name. I mean, I know that's a little harsh to say, but it's the truth. He kind of puts an asterisk by his name, so you know that's just my opinion. I don't want to sound sour grapes here, but I'm just uh, telling you from an honest opinion.
5: Right, and that's that's why I want because if you're if you're saying this, the, the chances are you're not the only one saying it. Sure. You know, and you know you're getting on a bit. You're a bit of an old man, and you you grew up playing break the balls as hard as you can.
6: That's ex- that's exactly the way I've always played. I mean, uh, no matter who was racking, no matter if the corner ball was going in, you know, we all still play break the balls. You know, you, you give it your best effort to break.
5: And then now, you know, going back again to the U.S. Open, and I, yeah, look, I'm not bagging on the U.S. Open rules. Whatever, no. I'm not playing in it. It's a matter of supreme indifference to me to, to a certain, you know, as a fan, I want to see certain things happen, but I'm not having to play. My I didn't pay expenses to get there. I didn't pay an entry fee, and I, that's not how I feed my family. So to me, you know, I, I'm interested in it, and I'm, but it's up to the tournament director and uh, Jay Helford and, and Barry Bowen as to what rules they come up with. But right. I, I, I can guarantee you're not on your own with, you know, what you are saying. But let me just add another factor because there's so much about the break going on now. That because at your level and a lot many of the other players who will be in the U.S. Open this year, at their level, running out racquetball isn't uncommon for somebody right. like myself or for some of the league players or some of the general you know pool enthusiasts. We don't run out that much. But you guys all can do it. So now so much emphasis is on the break that there's a big threat, a big discussion about it. So we've talked about breaking from the box, we've talked about the winner break and rack your own.
6: Okay.
5: Now Jay also said there'll be no soft break. But there is not a rule in there either about any balls going back. Uh, pass the headstring or pocketed balls. So how how do how do you think they're going to regulate something like that? We know there's not going to be a ref at each table. So how do you suppose you regulate who's soft breaking, who's not, who's just barely breaking the balls just enough to get past? And if you think somebody's I, I know I'm going on here. If, if you think if you're playing me and you think I'm soft breaking, what do you do? you go tell the ref the ref has to come and watch you, the other player and decide at that point whether they're really trying to break the balls or not
6: yeah i have no i i really have no clue what that means uh when it says no soft break and then they leave it at that um you know that's that's like telling um that's like going on a PGA tour and telling them guys okay guys you can't play safe off the tee and leave it at that you know, not tell them, say, listen, okay, you can't make, you can't hit an iron off the tee, you have to hit a driver, or you have to hit a wood, or, you know, you can't, you, you got to swing at least 70% of your swing, or whatever the case is, uh, you know, if, if you go up and tell them guys, well, you can't play safe off the tee, they're gonna say, well, uh, we really don't know what that means. Okay, you're trusting us to tell you if we play safe? You know, uh, of course we're not going to. Uh, and so, that's the same thing as, as they say no salt break. well, uh, we know okay, I know uh, Bustamani and Hillbilly, you know they can break the balls over 30 miles an hour. Well well, what con- constitutes a salt break to these guys? okay? Well, if they break 25 miles an hour or 22 miles an hour well that's considered a salt break for them well there's there's other guys like myself. my heart breaks like 25, 26 miles an hour. Well, you're going to tell me, okay, well, you can only break, uh, if you break the 17. So you have to have certain rules to, to make sure everybody can, can execute the break and it still not be a soft break. There has to be some kind of clear cut rules. I know they don't want to go into, uh, you know, getting balls past the headstring or past the side pocket or whatever the case is. But my opinion is I think that's, that's pretty much, uh, the only way you can do it. Um, you know, unless you get the rack hard enough where there's not a corner ball can be made consistently, no matter how you break them, no matter if you cut, break them, soft, easy, hard, from whatever angle, until you get it that way where then you know the guys are not going to break easy. Okay, you know they're not going to break easy. So then, you know, then you can kind of implement some rules. But, you know, uh, the way they well, got let's... it now, I, I, I just, uh, I don't like it. I wish they would change it up. Uh, they try it every year. They go back and forth. So I just well, this is what
5: you know, I, I I like to. I always say I play devil's advocate a lot. And somebody has actually posted this on the internet, and it, can, it kind of relates to what you just said. Um, you make it as hard as you can, so you have to get in there and bust the balls up as hard as you possibly can, and there's, without a guarantee. You know, the, the break should have a, a lot of luck to it, uh, sure. in my opinion. You know, you're supposed to smash them open and hopefully get left with something, but, you know, we've moved on. But if you get to a point where the break is so difficult that no matter what you do, and I don't know how you would do it, because this maybe is my ignorance talking, okay? But if you right. make the break so difficult that you can't make a ball and there's a chance. Now, say, 80% of the time or 90% of the time, you're going to leave everything wide open. Here's what somebody wrote on the internet was, what? what is the chances that somebody might say, hey, well, I, there is no advantage for me to break the moles, so I don't even want the break. Can they do something? Can they uh, do a safety break? Or does that mean just rolling up and bumping into one, and now it's a foul, and it's ball in hand? Or, and putting it back in the other players' hands. What's your thoughts on that? And, and and I know that would be... oh, If somebody started doing something like that, I know that it would not be a crowd pleaser sure. to see somebody not trying to break and playing it safe so that they didn't have to break because it's a disadvantage. But then again, uh, as, I, as I've said before, yes, the crowd, we want the crowd and the fans to be happy and excited, for the end of the day... The guys are out there playing they they've paid their expenses to get there they've paid their entropy and this is how they pay their mortgage and put food on the table for their families right. so unless somebody unless the fans are covering that expense I guess you know or uh, somebody's going to cover your uh, expenses, you've got to get out there and try and do whatever you can to win and if you've got a definite disadvantage of breaking. Do you go and refer to something that stops you from having a break and opening up?
6: Well, that's a pretty easy way to. I think it's a pretty easy rule, and this has been a rule nobody's really, uh, you know, you never see it exerted too much. But I've seen it happen back in the 90s a few times. Whereas the guy that's who whose break it is, he has a choice whether he can break or let the other let the opponent break. Okay, now he has that choice. And so, uh, even now, like if I got up and I didn't want to break the balls, I can look over and my opponent and says, "Okay, I want you to break."
5: Now hold on, then, is that is that a rule?
6: It is a rule. See, a lot of people don't know, but it's in the rules. It's been in the rules for uh, oh, ever since I've been playing. I know up in the eighties. So uh, if
5: if you win, if it's win a break, yep. This is what. This is. What I just want to be real clear. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess it's up to each tournament as well in their own rules what they
6: want to do but they would pretty much have to say okay this is a rule whoever wins the game has to break the balls they have to put that rule in like they have to write the nine on the spot or anything like that but it is a general rule you just don't never hear of it
5: I'd be be interested to know if that's in the rules for the US offense yeah
6: Well, maybe it is, maybe it ain't. I just know, uh, I'll never forget uh, at a tournament uh, years ago. This might have been in the Camel Tour days in the 90s. Uh, Pat Fleming, you know, he got on to where he, he was going around to where uh, every match he played, he would let the other guy break. And because the tables, they had tightened them up at the time and it was breaking from the box. Everybody's breaking hard. So he didn't have a good break. So he said, I'm going to let my opponent break. And he, wouldn't he didn't break the balls i even played him in some matches uh, that he had me to break every time now he didn't uh he didn't like the outcome but the thing is he had that opportunity i've seen him win many matches and sometimes he might break three or four times in a row then all of a sudden catch a guy off guard so you break you know uh so you know I, you don't see it happen very often but uh if the table gets to break in hard enough i think that's the that's the way you do it. You win the game. Now you're saying, okay, well, it's a disadvantage to break, or I think it is, so uh, I'm going to let him break. And, but now you, you put it out there like now all of a sudden if he does execute the break and make a ball, now you feel like an idiot. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think it's a good rule. So the rules as
5: as we know it right now, and, and you know, t- things – you change it, it's at the discretion of the tournament director and the promoter, I, I, I guess, but at this point, breaking from the box, nine on the spot, no soft breaks, but no balls have to go past the head straight. Winner breaks, rack your own. Your thoughts on that whole scenario. I, I, I'm guessing based on our conversation so far, you don't care for it.
6: Uh, Exactly. Well, the the thing is, the putting the nine on the spot could actually backfire. Now, I because I think just from the, just from the past experience is what it, what what it comes down to is if the nine's on the spot, then you have to hit if you if you figure out how to make the corner ball. In order to do it, you have to hit them much easier than if the corner balls than if the ones on the spot. So what you'll actually see is in this is you're going to see guys breaking the balls, probably cutting the balls, hitting the cut break and breaking them easier. So it's actually could backfire and look worse because I remember the year that uh, Mika beat, I think it was Mika uh, Mika lost to Corey, 11 nothing in the final, and pretty much everybody the last day and a half had got to hitting this cut break. And it was really easy. You were hitting it very—I mean, the speed of it was hitting very easy. And I mean, you know, I was—you know—you have to join them. You know, you have to join everybody because if you don't, they're just going to run over you. And so, uh, you know, it. it uh, I last day too.
5: Well, it didn't. You know, you know I'm going to. I'm only on two more things to ask you about unless, okay. and all mentioned here. I was just reading on Facebook, Jason Shore, uh, he doesn't care for... The, it appears he... I don't want to speak for him. It appears he doesn't care for the rules either. And part of his reasoning is this. He said he's been practicing with Jeremy Sosey with the nine on, on the spot and he's been playing races to 11, Sets you know, sets to races to 11. And it, he's made, during those matches he's made the nine on the break uh, four or five times, each
6: set. Right. Each set
5: in a risk to a limit. What does, what does that tell you? Does that tell you anything? No, I think I he doesn't like it because he, he must think, well, hell, if I can do it, other people can do it as well. And you don't want to, I guess, get, again, go fly down because somebody can make the nine on the break every time.
6: Right. Well, my thoughts are, I've always thought this, uh, for somebody to be able to win a game by making the nine on the break is just a, I mean that's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Is you're playing in a professional tournament, and you make the nine on one shot, one break. Uh It's not a called shot. It's not a skilled shot. I mean you just, you can't call it. You don't know what's going on. Now uh, hold on. I, I don't. Just
5: so you know, I don't know that the, the 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 nine doesn't get respotted. but based okay. on but based on Jason Shaw's post on Facebook: the the nine does count. So that's on that only.
6: That tells me two things. That tells me that if they do play nine, you know, count on the break. Well, you see that that if it could really it could really look bad. Uh, And second thing that proves to me that Jason Shaw knows how to wreck the ball, as one of them guys I was talking about. Okay, because you cannot make the nine on the break uh, consistently. You know, I'm sure it's probably going in the same pockets, uh, my opinion. I don't know for sure. But he I, said, I, I he said it
5: was the corner pockets. He was going in the corner pockets. Now, which corner pockets, I, I don't know. But uh, it's If, went, it's, going, if know. it's
6: going in the corner pockets, that means it's going straight in. Okay, well, if it's going straight in, that means you you know how to maneuver the rack. That means the rack is not completely frozen it has to be if it's completely frozen the nine will not go toward the pocket it'll stay just like the old sardo rack if everybody remembers the sardo rack uh when when they rack you always caught the uh the nine always stayed where it was at and about the same thing with the magic rack same thing uh so if it's going in the hole like that then that means that the balls are not frozen okay that could be the table that could be uh him knowing what he's doing you know the case is but uh but anyway, whatever it is, it, it's just it, it's going to create problems when guys are able to rack their own balls. There's going to be problems. You're going to catch problems, and it's going to be. Uh, I've seen more problems and more arguments happen since to rack your own balls than back in the old days when we used to play rack for each other. You know that that to me, I've seen more arguments, and especially in the last couple years. Anyway. Uh, but, you know, I mean, the U S open, they change the rules like women change their underwear. So, you know, it just happens all the time. It's just, you know, that's why when I get there, I just, uh, you know, uh, when I get there, I just say, you know, okay, tell me where I can break from, do a winter break and who racks the balls. And that's pretty much, uh, you know, cause I know I'm going to try to break them hard. So that's pretty much how, you know, I go there. I don't really, I don't, uh, listen to all this on the internet and all this until I get there. When I get there, then I'll go to whoever the powers-to-be is, and I'll, before the match, I want to know what my race is, you know, where I can break from, you know, and uh, win or break, or, uh, you know, I guess always win or break, and then uh, who can rank. That's pretty much it for me.
5: And you just got to just do the best job you can.
6: That's it. That's all I can do. Uh, all that. But but I do, I mean, uh You know, I agree that the break has just gotten outrageous. Uh, All this racquet on balls and guys know how to, you know, freeze the L and the, you know, and and, and then the corner ball goes in and the track and, you know, all this stuff. They nudge them with their fingers, the one ball and, you know, all this stuff. Anytime you see a guy put his finger up there and nudge the one ball back, he's setting the rack. And you cannot tell me that it's any different. Okay, I won't believe it any business. If you see me do it. Okay, if you see me do it. Then I'm doing it. But you won't see me do it. So, anytime I see a guy nudging the one ball, you know, and trying to trying to pull like they're pulling it back or whatever that little move is, that means they're setting the rack up. That means they're trying to freeze a mail or or get them balls up a little bit. You know, I don't know exactly what it is, but uh, you know, them guys know who they are. You know,
5: uh, they, nobody has, has the name named. And, and they, you know, for, I mean, I mean, obviously, you're rightfully so, you're just thinking about yourself. But there's plenty of other people out there who are probably going to have the same problem as well. And it's just going to be a few that know what they're doing.
2: Sure.
5: And, and so, you know, you go into it knowing that you're maybe giving somebody weight who's, uh, You know, a professional pool player. You know, the nine-ball itself, I think, for you guys, is fairly easy, and that's why it's come down to this, you know, the rack being meaning so much. Um, You know, nine-ball, running out nine-balls is not difficult for you guys.
6: No, not at all. Um, Well, the thing is, you got, let's just say you got 20 guys in the tournament that knows how to do it. Well, probably five of them. You know, or or like a lower class player, say above, say below the uh, top tier of players. Well, now that really that really only leaves about fifteen guys that can win the tournament, or that's probably going to be right there. You're not going to see it. you're not going to see. Uh, you might see one or two guys outside of them twenty, you know, up in the top ten or whatever. But you're just not going to, you know, uh, you know if you look at the um, the last few that's won. You know, certain ones, I can pretty much read them off to you. You know, and I can tell you, okay, yes, he's, he's been known to, to, uh, maneuver to rack. You know, and, uh, you know, I can kind of look, I can kind of look down the list and tell you, and then you go to Turning Stone, this last Turning Stone, where you, where everybody racks for each other. Now look at the list. Okay, you got Jason Shaw up there, you got Mika, Rodney, uh, I think fourth was, fourth is Thor- Thorsten. You know, Earl. We all know Earl don't don't care about it. You know, Earl. Earl don't. He's about dumb as dumb as the rack as I am. You know, so you really can look down that list and see, you know, who who gets up and plays harder, and who don't rely on that.
5: Now, if you're wrecking for your opponent, if you can wreck for yourself and make it advantageous, then shouldn't there be a case to say that if you're wrecking for your opponent, you can make it? less
1: advantageous? Well, you're
6: not, you're, you're, well, what you're trying to do, if you're racking for each other, everybody puts them up there and tries their best to get the balls frozen. Now you're going to see some guys come down and nitpick here and there about certain balls, uh, but you, you're going to, for the most part, you're going to get them to put them up there where well, they're not worrying about this track and this L track and, and uh, all this other stuff. They're just kind of, they're just putting the balls up. Well, that's pretty much going to take the corner ball out. It's what that does. So, you know, now you, I remember, uh, you know, I played it, like I said, I played a match, and the guy come down, and I was racking. He was telling me what he wanted frozen in. And he asked me, he said, what do you look at? And I said, well, really, what I look at is the the one ball. I said, I've always said, well, if the one ball's frozen, then, you know, that's good enough for me. And so uh, he said, okay. And then uh then I come down uh you know I go to rack, and he's he's really pointing this out, and you know this is a this is somebody that that really don't win tournaments right now, you know and and to rely on that is just you know I really don't like that, you know I don't like that that's that's like uh i don't know that that's like um I really don't care for this uh on the playing golf, and before a round you can you can uh, maneuver your head or your golf club you know imagine if you can do that every shot you know i don't I don't like that, but you know um uh, don't have our have our little pet peeves, but you know it, we've that's when the a b p come out a few years ago, that was one of the main thing we, things we were trying to do is just get a set of rules where we where everybody played by them, and we didn't go into whatever tournament it was, whoever's kingdom it was and they dictated how we played. You know, I think if we just had a universal set of rules, you know, uh, then that would be fine. It didn't matter to me how we played. You know, we all voted on different ones. I voted against a few, of, and some of the ones I voted on, uh, you know, got in. So, you know, this is all, you know, just a it's just a crock, but, you know, it's been happening for years.
5: Well, the last question on this topic is in your – if, if you were in charge, how would the break work? What would be your personally your ideal situation? Now, having said that, he's maybe going to be biased as well because sure, you're sure. going to want you want it the way you want it, so to give you the best chance. To Absolutely, but, right. what, would, what would be the what would be the ideal situation that you think should be a, a, a standard format for breaking nine
6: balls? Well, to be honest with you, I really, right now, I wouldn't know, I don't know exactly, you know, the the formula, you know, the right formula, you know, where you rack and where you break from and, you know, how many balls pass. I don't know the right formula, to be honest with you. But whatever formula it is, as long as the one corner, uh, each corner ball on each side, you cannot make that ball in the hole consistently. Okay, now, and, and I'm saying where it misses, where it might miss eight out of ten times, the corner pocket. Now if it start, if it starts going somewhere else and goes consistently, I'm okay with that. But as, whatever the formula is to where, and it's gonna come from racking the balls and, and where you break from. Okay, how you dictate where they break from and, and the right position for the rack. To where it cuts out any speed. Any cut, any soft speed, hitting left or right, no matter what. As long as you can stop that corner ball going inconsistently, I'm all for it. doesn't matter what it is.
5: Okay. I know, not uh I, I, I think I'm correct in this. With English, you know, they have the English uh, pool that the play, Dan Afton came from there, and uh, I think Chris Mellon and Cowboys. Uh, I, I believe you have to uh, break from the center of the head strength. There's a dot there. Okay. And so you have to you you can't go left, right, at all. There's no there's no box there's a spot that you put right. them all on. You have to break them straight, pull in the face. So I you know, I, I don't know if that, that'll mean a whole lot, but I'm just saying that's uh something to say that maybe eliminates a lot of the things that you were talking about.
6: It it may could have. It may could and, and uh You know, I just want to get it to where, okay, just like at the Moscone Cup last year, we all voted on that we were all breaking from the center. Because we all, you know, we were the 10, you know, to me the 10 best there was. So we all voted to to break from the center because we didn't want anybody making the corner bowl. We didn't want anybody maneuvering it, maneuvering the break or anything like that. So that was our... That was just our solution, okay? Now, if you know 10 top players playing for the biggest, you know, biggest team event all year on TV, we all decided to go that that route. That backfired for USA because they sure outbroke us, that's for sure, okay? And so, but on the top of it, it was as tough as possible. Now, it might have been a little extreme, okay? It might have been a little bit too tough, but... I'd rather it be that way than if somebody can figure out that break and maneuver it and and, and try to do things or try to try to uh I guess they they're trying to find a shortcut, if you ask me, you know try yeah. to get out of really having to play
5: Well, I think that explains um your opinion and they, they explain some of the details that you know people like myself and I'm, I'm sure there's many others that are listening that we don't know some of these things. And so it's always good to know. But that's the serious stuff out in the way. What I'd like to uh, talk to you about is uh, I've seen and I've spoke to you a little bit about your uh, bobbleheads.
6: Oh, my bobblehead dolls. Okay. Now,
5: you're selling them right now. I'm not trying to do this as an infomercial, but I I find it amusing. I think it's I think it's cool. I think it's something, you know, look at baseball, basketball, football, they've all got bubble heads. And uh to have a pool player with a bubble head I I think it's kinda cool. I think it's a cool piece of memorabilia for somebody's pool home pool room, you know, to put up on a shelf and, mm-hmm. and things like that. How how did that
6: come about? Well um you know it it come about well championship billiard fabric who's who's, you know, everybody knows as, is, is, uh, you know, my one of my sponsors. And, you know, this idea came about, you know, last year sometime. Uh, you know, Mike Sarah from uh, from Championship called me up and, and says, listen, we're thinking about building a bobblehead to all of you. What do you think? Well, you know, it's like anything. You hear something like that, and you're like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. You don't think much about it. You know, you, you're like, okay, well, I never really thought about it, and I don't even know if it it probably won't ever happen.
5: Well, you probably hear a lot of goofy ideas. So, you know, people said, hey, let's do this. Let's go out on the road and do a tour
6: of clinics and exhibitions
5: and goofy ideas like that.
6: Yeah, that's true. I have heard them goofy ideas a few times, by (laughs) this one guy I know, too. Yeah, that's right. But but anyway, um, no, uh, and then a few months later, they sent me a picture. They said, listen, we... You know, this is the first, you know, draft of of, of a picture of it uh, of you. And uh, what do you think? Well, it, I didn't like it too much, and so uh, they said, "Okay, well, we're gonna we'll go back to the drawing board." Well, they a little bit while later they sent me another one, and it looked nice. And I said, "Okay, yeah, I like this," and I okayed it. And then. Um, Next thing you know, they said, well, we're going to unveil it at the, uh, at the trade show, at the BCA trade show of this year. And, you know, it kind of time went past. And until I seen it, I still, you know, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know if, if it was really going to happen, I guess. And now uh, when I got there, it's, it's, it's the, the box that it's in is a very, very well put together box. It has a lot of information. Um, it's just, it's just very professionally done. And, uh, it actually looks, Looks pretty good. It don't it don't really show my big feature that I have on the front of my face. You know, it don't show that too too much.
5: Well, that's one of the you no. Know, that's one of the things I wanted to mention is that anybody who might be interested in this, who's had a collection of bobblehead dolls for football players or uh, baseball players, basketball players, etc. What you have to understand is these cost a hell of a lot more to produce. Because of your nose, there's more material involved.
6: Oh, oh I wonder what, how long it would take for you to say that. Okay. Well, well, well you, you <laughs> mentioned
5: that. You mentioned you mentioned <laughs> the fact that well, there's about 50% more product, plastic, that has to be involved. Oh. And, and they have to have a sports, sports special made, I understand. So.
6: Well, you know, as much as I argue with you, I can't really argue about this point. Uh, so, because you you you're pretty much right on this, but the one one good thing I do see about it is they don't have all the gray hair on it like I really have. Okay, that's a good thing. Um, the nose on it, unless you know, when you see me up close, you know, in in person, you know, my nose will really jump out and scare you. But that one just is just a cartoon character, so you know it don't really jump out and scare you as bad. Uh, right. You know, but well, but it's girl, just, uh, you gotta sell
5: them to kids as well. You know, they have to sell them yeah. to children as well, and you don't be scaring them. You know, something right. like that in your bedroom. Right. You know, nights when you That is true.
6: That is true. Uh, you know, but the thing is, if you buy one, and you know, and you have it, it does make your game go up two balls, no matter what. <laughs> no matter what. <laughs>
5: just having it. Uh, yeah, to rub it's it happening. every
6: night it. it has this it has this uh leprechaun magic or whatever you have in it you know it's, it's, i think I, i've given because way way championship done they got a thousand made the first hundred of them was given to me um i'm selling them myself with personalizing signing them and uh, i'm numbering them at the bottom and uh, i'm getting a lot of them out there There's, I probably sold uh, in two or three days now. Probably upwards of around thirty, thirty-five of them so far. And um, anyway, there. I think it's a pretty neat, pretty neat thing. Um, they're going to look to. I think they're going to do a player every year. I think, and uh, I already know the next couple players, but we'll have to wait and let everybody find out on their own on that one. It's pretty cool.
5: So if. Now, you can buy them from you directly, and those are the only ones that are going to be signed, personalized, the first one nice. through 100. And if I wanted to buy one, how do I go about getting
6: that? Well, the way I'm I i I'm kind of just putting it out on Facebook. I uh, go to my Facebook page, and, and, you know, I've got a PayPal account set up, uh, and I ship them. You know, I ship them. I got them all here at home, and I ship them myself. Um, if you don't care about them personalized or numbered, you can, uh, championship is selling sell theirs on their website, uh, on their website. So, uh, you know, you can go and, and, and go about it that way. Um, but yeah, you just gotta go on and uh, go on my website or, or like at the open, I'll have, uh I'll have 20 or so with me up there, uh, that I'll be, you know, just have them on, on hand. And, um, you know, probably what I'll have is probably be gone before too long. So, um, you know, it's, it's been a good buzz.
5: Yeah, yeah. I I, I, you know, I, th- I think it's a, a fun idea, and it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we, we haven't seen before, I don't believe. But, I, you know, I'd like to have one just to, you know, when I get a little pissed off around the house, to go ahead and, you know, give it one of those whacks and watch his head, just rock, you know? Oh,
6: okay, yeah, yeah. Like one of
5: those uh, stress bowls.
6: But see, but he see. Here's the thing: when you do that, you see my head rocking and shaking. That means that I'm kind of telling you, I told you so. Yeah, I told yeah. you so. You'll always remember that. All
5: right, oh, I'll remember that. I, I'm just gonna get one in my hands, right? So
6: <laughs> that's right. That's right.
5: Johnny, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I, the you know I, I'm I'm happy about the bobblehead dolls, but I'm happy that you give us your input on the uh, U.S. Open Break format. It's, it's definitely something that's there. And I say, I say the same thing every time when I talk to people like yourself or Darren, is we don't have the expert opinion on these things as to what the reasons are. Because for for the most part, the, the people who are listening, it's no disrespect to the people who are listening, but obviously for the most part, we don't have the same knowledge or experience of things or why things should work. What the difference actually is. Does it, what does it really mean, you know? Right. And so getting from you guys is, uh, it's, it's, it's the see see inside scoop, I guess, you know, as to why it really makes a difference to anybody. So, um, I, I appreciate it, Johnny. And, uh, hopefully we'll have you back on again after you win the US Open, right?
6: Sounds good, my man. Well, listen, I want to say this. Is, I enjoy, uh, Doing things with you, Mark. I know we go back, and, and we're pretty good buddies. But uh, you do a good job. You try to bring some, try to bring information, and you try to do it in an unbiased way, which I know is hard uh, because you have relationship with players and stuff like that. So it's a good thing, and uh, hopefully bring shed a little light on some issues that need to be addressed. Yeah, yeah, that's
5: what I try to do. And you're right, it's not easy. It's not easy trying not to, to do something and not piss anybody off, and you know, doing interviews with you, especially people understand that we're friends and it's, it's, uh, it's not easy always to ask questions and get information without seeming like I'm ambushing my buddy. Do you know what I mean?
6: Right. Right. i so, understand. but I, again,
5: appreciate it, man. And, uh, I will speak to you again real soon. Hopefully again, when the U S open, we'll have you back on.
6: You got it, my man. Well, everybody have a good day. And, uh, We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. All right. Well, that was Johnny Archer. She
5: definitely shed some light on the break situation, and that, again, this is not something that was uh, I, I designed to have any ill will towards the U.S. Open or Jay Helford. Those guys know what they're doing. I, you know, they're going to run their tournament how they run their tournament. But since it was that thread on uh, AZ Billiards, I thought he was right that we should have a chat about it. So that is all I have to say for right now, and I will be back with you next week. This is the Legends and Champions Report with myself, Mark Cantrell, brought to you by Top Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. Until next week, we'll see you soon.
1: <laughs>